does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake Ruiz, before the break, um, an indie product has joined the Colts here late in the season. And I guess if you think back to the Jack Doyle days playing on 56th Street for Cathedral High School, you go, what, about two miles east? You'll hit Lawrence Central and the Colts sign linebacker Cameron McGrone off of the Patriots practice squad um so he will now join the colts active roster played at michigan has not played in the nfl fifth round pick in 2021 obviously linebacker does not on paper look like an immediate need but if you are cameron i would think you would be happy to be back in your hometown and secondly you got to look at bobby okereke ej speed both free agents this offseason obviously the shaquille leonard injury situation is murky uh, might have some chance here to earn a role next season. It's interesting to me first that the NFL, probably more than any other sport, Kevin, you know, you know these are the greatest athletes in the world. I, I, I mean, obviously, soccer has great athletes. Basketball, we, we football. We've got a I mean, you know, swimmer in studio swimming, here. Right. Let's I not, mean, you know, come on now. Yeah, I'm asking uh, Griffin, who swims at Tennessee, you know, so what time do you get up in the morning? Well, I, I get up every morning at 4 o'clock, and I'm in the pool by 4.30 until 9. I'm thinking, okay. Um, you know, and I and he comes in here, and I'm telling him it's rough for us to get on at 7, and he's like, yeah, I've swam four miles a day mm-hmm. by 7 a.m. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It doesn't really but, fit the Jake Quarry lifestyle. But the, the NFL, though, I mean, I mean, you're talking about in terms of football players, obviously, and physical specimen, the upper crust of the upper crust, the upper tier of the upper quartile or whatever it is. It, it is fascinating to me the the differences maybe even like in the style of play or the different things from each respective level. What I'm getting at long-winded is it does amaze me that there is a guy that could play high school football at Lawrence Central – or at Northwest High School, or at Decatur Central, that's playing on Friday nights, that is three years removed, four years removed away from being on an NFL roster, and yet like no one in the stands realizes they're watching a future NFL player. And no one then looks back and goes, oh, I absolutely remember when he was at LC, he was dominant. You know what I mean? Like, the way that guys just kind of blend in. Paul Spicer had a really good NFL career for a long time. With the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah, primarily. Lineman. Yeah. He went to Northwest High School during the time that I was working at Channel 6 and was going and doing Friday night games every Friday night. I have no recollection of him. Space Pioneers, baby. Yeah, I don't remember a single person saying, like, you got to come out and see this guy. He's a beast. You know what I mean? Like, And that was that was probably more Jack Doyle, honestly, than yeah, Cameron Yeah, that's, that's a good you example. Know, like, Doyle when, was not this heralded recruit. When I mean, you were in high school, was he... I mean, was it like he he was a good player, and certainly, definitely senior year, he was easily one of the best players in the team. But he'd be the first to tell you it was a family connection at Western Kentucky that um, allowed him to go there. Um, Cameron McGrone, I think, was a fairly highly rated recruit, and he, he went. And to I Mid- know Michigan's gotten some players out of like Warren and Beatty that were really good players. He went to Michigan. It's not like he went to right, you right. know Texas A and M Commerce, um, but. The Lions, as we've come to know. <laughs> the Lions, yes. Thank you for that. Uh, so, nice little indie connection here again. Um, you don't typically see a lot of these moves. The Colts have made a couple of them late in the year. I tend to think it's got more to do with kind of the next season than it does, oh, you're in a dire injury situation right now. I did find it interesting. Yesterday we brought up, it was typically Tuesday, you hear from the Colts coordinators, Parks Frazier, the OC, for what it's worth. And again, Jeff Saturday will confirm it later today. Uh, but he said that he is game planning as if Matt Ryan will remain the starting quarterback. Uh, one of the coordinators mentioned a player in the team that he would call the best leader the Colts have. Any guesses? One of the coordinators referenced a guy that they listed as the best. So you're not saying which side of the ball, right? No, and was adamant 
that this person was the best leader the Colts have. Uh, let me ask two yes-no questions, if I may. Uh, the first being, is this someone who is a regular starter? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Secondly, has this person appeared on this radio program? Um, yes. I'm going to go with Zaire Franklin. That was my guess, too. Boom. Um, obviously became a full-time starter this year. The Leonard injury situation playing into that. What Bubba Ventrone was saying was basically his mental, physical toughness sets him aside. Like, this dude does not sit... I mean, he's a vocal leader, yes, but in the way he carries himself... And I think back to his Syracuse days, Jake. Remember, he was the first three-time captain at Syracuse in like 100 years. Syracuse has got some football history. And... He obviously was thought of in very high regard there um, and I think has emerged this season. So as we said a little bit earlier, again, Pro Bowl teams announced tonight. I'm not expecting Zaire Franklin to be a Pro Bowler. Um, I think he deserves consideration for it in a season that a lot of Colts fans will want to forget. Kudos to Zaire Franklin. Signed a big contract extension for him. Three-year extension back in January. Was really just a special teamer throughout his first four years in the NFL. And I think he's proven he can be a definite starter in this league and is one of the league's top tacklers. Here's a legit question for our audience. Maybe I should do this as a Twitter poll. Are you ready, Kevin? Yeah, uh-huh. Today is December the... is. Oh, today's... It's Festivus, right? Isn't it Festivus, Mark? Uh, I thought that was we later in the week. Yeah. Is it the 21st? Is today the first day of winter? It is that as well, right? So yeah, you're a little early. Festivus is the 23rd. Oh, it is. Okay. My apologies. Um, but here we are in late December with, you know, we are through turn four on the NFL season. And the Colts are, what, four, nine, and one? Does anybody care who starts a quarterback? I hate the tie, by the way. I, yeah, I know. I, I was really hoping for four, eight, and two, though. That would have been awesome. Um, does anybody care? I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about it. Do people truly care who starts yeah, a quarterback? I, I think there are some. Um, again, if you look at next season, if Matt Ryan were to get hurt, that is a significant financial hit for your team. That will impact your decision-making next uh, year. I mean, I get it, but but most people are like, hey, I'm not the one writing the check. On the free agency front. But it impacts your salary cap. I understood. More to do with, it's not like Jim Mercy just handed him that money. No, I get it. Um, so but I think that's think where it average, impacts it. Do you think that we, I get why we t- discuss it. Do you think the average person, though, and I'm saying it somewhat flippantly, but don't you think there are a lot of people that are like, you know what, at this point, who cares, oh, man? without Stunt doubt. Foles, yeah, whatever, who cares? I mean, I mean are there 95% really people are, of the fan base just wants to lose. Right. Are there really people that are like, oh, man, so-and-so, you know, I, I really like the way that he can read such-and-such such on the defense. I, you know, people like, I think yeah, if okay. I had a ticket to Monday night, Jake, I'd you, rather see Sam Ellinger than... Matt Ryan. And if you have a ticket to Monday night and you're not going to the game, you can send it to me on email, jake at 1075thefan.com, and we will forward that to the United Way, where a child who normally would not be able to go to an NFL game will be able to go with a mentor to take them to the game for either of the I was going to say, not only Monday night, but January 8th, the season finale against Houston, which... Yeah. And thank you to those that did so yesterday. Um, Stephen Holder's going to join us next. Stephen had an interesting tweet yesterday about Jim Mercer's comments recently about looking at some less obvious coaching candidates. Uh, we'll get Stephen's thoughts. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On that here. 8 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Technically speaking, it is the 8 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton flying the Millennium Falcon for us. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, and by the way, this is Kevin Inquiry on 93.5-1075, The Fan. He is a regular guest of this program on Wednesdays. You read his work, of course, with ESPN. Stephen Holder joins us to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. And Stephen, I'll begin with this. I was asking Kevin this kind of rhetorically, but I want you to weigh in. 
I realize that the Colts can say, you know, they're still trying to win games, or Jeff Saturday's doing what he can to put them in the best position, etc. But uh, their moves over the last week, to me, appear to be a franchise that know it's over. You agree or disagree? Uh, I I will say this: I, I don't hear a whole lot of you know the the, the usual uh, you know sayings that you hear when a team is trying to convince itself that these games matter. <laughs> like, you know, well, we're not eliminated just yet. And they're not, right? They're not eliminated from the playoffs, which is which says more about the AFC South than them, but whatever. Uh, no one, okay, no one has said anything to me about the playoffs in a very long time. Not that I want to hear it, okay? Granted. But I haven't heard that. Normally, until the day you're mathematically eliminated, you still hear that, you know, that, that conversation. Uh, I, I would also say, you know, just in terms of them talking about, you know, having a lot to play for. And I've, I've heard things like, you know, you, you've got personal pride. I think it was Matt Ryan who even said that last week. You know, he says, you know, you've got a lot of personal pride to play for. Oh, well, that's a team that is telling you, this is not going anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, even though they're not eliminated, I think the the way things have felt the last two games in particular, um, to me, I think it it just kind of leaves you with a taste in your mouth that, like, you're just waiting for this thing to be over. Can Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, I want to go to a tweet you had yesterday in referencing some Jim Mercer comments over the past few weeks about um, a willingness, I guess, to look at some less obvious coaching candidates. I believe he particularly mentioned college candidates. You know, honestly, before Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin, that was maybe the name that I would have had mm. very high on a list, you know, I I think you know this pretty well. I mean, Chris Ballard extremely fond of what Fickle did at Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> for what it's worth, I know it was probably twenty some years ago, but uh, the college roommate of Luke Fickle was Mike Vrabel. So if you're looking for a connection there, you got a little bit of it. I believe they did coach together at at, at one point. Um, but I guess what what did you make of those Ursay comments? And did any names pop into your head when you saw that? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it because you know, it was something that he said to me uh, several, quite a few weeks ago um, in a conversation about something else, and it kind of veered, as conversations tend to do with Jim Rose, they veered into other topics. And and I think, you know, he was kind of, I think, making the point, I don't know if he was trying to solidify or, or reinforce his choice of Jeff Saturday or not, but... You know, that was certainly a very unconventional choice. And I think it was almost kind of doubling down on the idea that, you know, we should we should think outside the box a little more. Um, not necessarily in terms of experience, like hiring someone who's never done the job, maybe. You know, I, I don't think that's the argument he was making, thank God. <laughs> but he was certainly saying we kind of, or the NFL, not we, but the NFL kind of, interviews the same profile of coach, right? You know, who's the up-and-coming uh, coordinator or who's the, the retread head coach, right? I mean, that's basically the profile that gets hired or gets interviewed in these hiring cycles. That's true. And so, for better or worse, his argument was, hey, you know, let's we should think a little bit outside the box. And I, I do think that, that Chris Ballard has some... Uh, some history of doing that. I mean, I didn't, obviously Matt Rule didn't work out, but Matt Rule was someone that he had an eye on, you know, when he was at Baylor. Yeah, early uh, in his Baylor days. Yeah, exactly. It, and this was probably a couple years before the uh, before he got the NFL job in Carolina. So, I mean, he was kind of an early, uh, early to that party, you know, if you will. Again, didn't work out, but I think the, the idea that, that Jim Mercer is talking about, I think Chris Ballard may already be there on some level, you know, because I think he has some history of doing that. So anyway, uh, I don't, he didn't name names, and that's that's the hard part here. Um, so I don't know who he's talking about. And, and I, you know, but certainly when he, the way he describes that profile of candidate, we're not talking about Jim Harbaugh here, right? You know, we're talking about, you know, I think the Luke Fickle example is a great one. Someone in that, in, in that, um, at that level. Um, 
So Albert Breyer, Sports Illustrated, replied to my tweet and threw out Matt Campbell, who is someone I hadn't thought about. But I I think I I like a guy like Luke Fickle a little better. But I think that's maybe the profile of person we're talking about, the Iowa State head coach, who's who's built a a pretty competitive program. NFL teams have had interest in him. Yeah, a place where they just, you know, it's really hard to sustain success, right? A, a program that's hard to sustain success. So anyway, um, it's interesting. And I think it's something to just file away in our memory banks as we move forward in this coaching search. Stephen, do you believe that Jeff Saturday has any regret about giving this tenure a try as the head coach? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I take him at his word when he says that he has had a good time and that he has enjoyed this. Um, I, I mean, it's it's put him in position to be in a conversation about being the next coach just because he is currently the coach. And that certainly wasn't going to happen sitting on, on the set uh, on ESPN. So, and, and the other thing for, for Jeff is, I mean, look <laughs> – if you're his agent, I mean, you now have you you have options. I mean, I think you know in terms of television, you know. So this hasn't been a setback for him. If anything, it's probably enhanced his career moving forward. If he decides to stay in television, if this doesn't ultimately work out for him, so I don't think Jeff Saturday has lost anything here. If anything, he's gained from this. So I really don't see any reason for him to have regret. I, I think this is, even though it hasn't. You know, losing is not fun, clearly, but in the grand scheme, I don't think Jeff Saturday is losing anything here. I, I think he has gained from this, and uh, he'll personally, um, I don't say profit, but, you know, it's not about money per se, but I think, you know, personally, he will he will gain from this, I think. Yeah, he probably did make some pretty good money here for this two-month yeah, stint as well. Um, <laughs> Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, I want to go back to... Um, I believe you guys had it first on ESPN.com over the weekend. Um, basically, the NFL sending a memo out to owners reminding them of how much money they have spent on firing head coaches and GMs. Part of me read it and was like, well, it's kind of their money. They can do with it whatever they want. Having said that, Frank Reich was mentioned in the story. Uh, four years left on his contract, $9 million annually. Um, do you think... I guess I don't think Jim Irsay loses sleep over the finances of that and would lose the sleep over the finances of firing Chris Ballard on top of that if he were to do it with Ballard under contract for the same length of time as Reich was. But I do think he could lose sleep over the ego of having to fire or deciding to fire both, you know, 16 months after giving them both an extension. Do you think that would be at play at all with Irsay a little bit more? Am I willing to do this? Admit that I was wrong versus the actual finances of you know paying two guys a large sum of money. Granted, a sum of money that he has. Right. Uh, so I'll start by saying I actually think the the money. I'm not saying it's hurting him necessarily, but let me just say he is very, very, very aware of the amount of money. Okay, and I know that from personal conversations. And like how it looks, or no, 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 just like just the dollar amount. Cut. Like he, he, I will tell you, we had a conversation uh, about this uh, about Frank Reich, and and one of the things that he said is that look, you know, I, I, I think he said something like, you know, when this is over, I'll have committed north of fifty million dollars to Frank Reich. He's like that is a significant commitment. And I thought at first I was like, all right, he's just talking out of his rear end here. You know, I was, I literally didn't use the number because I didn't believe it. I, I wasn't sure he was accurate because he does do that sometimes, right? You kind of throw things out and you're like, all right, there's no way that's true. <laughs> and maybe it is true now in retrospect, looking back at it, I was like, I didn't think Frank was making that much. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, so anyway, my point is he was very, very aware and emphasized uh, that dollar amount um, multiple times. So I think it matters to him in terms of just the money. Uh, then to your point about you know the the optics of it, I think that I think that matters too. I mean, you know, with especially with 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 Chris Ballard, where you have you have said or he has said some things about Chris Ballard, you know, that are hard to just 
you know, take back. I mean, yeah. you called him basically the, the greatest talent evaluator in NFL history. I My, mean, Michael I mean, Jordan missed shots. Michael Jordan lost games. Exactly. You've called him the GOAT, uh, you know, just recently. So, and has since doubled down on, on his um, intention to keep him. Uh, I think he told that to Zach Kiefer recently. So, I, I mean, I actually buy that Chris Ballard is going to be back. I think the question is going to be, you know, how much of the, the critical decision-making is going to fall to Chris Ballard. That is the question, because every critical decision since the end of the 2021 season has basically been made by Jim Mersey. The Carson Wentz decision, the uh, certainly the, the Matt Ryan benching, uh, Chris, uh, excuse me, Frank Reich being fired, and the, the Jeff Saturday Higher, those were all decisions that were driven by Jim Irsay and Jim Irsay alone. So, or primarily, put it that way. So uh, that's the question for me. And and how does that play uh, with Chris Ballard and, and moving forward? And then the other question related to this is whoever they hire, all right, if that's, you know, is that going to be a quote-unquote strong head coach, someone who, who wants um you know, authority over over the roster and things like that. So there's a lot still to be determined that I think impacts how Chris Ballard operates moving forward and, and whether this is somewhere he wants to be. Stephen, do you believe, Stephen Holder is our guest, do you believe that the value that is perceived that Chris Ballard has, I'm not saying he doesn't, but his, his perceived value, is it higher within the Colts organization than it is league-wide? Or do you believe that he still has perceived value among other franchises? And I've got a follow-up, which is why I'm asking it. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I actually think he still has a lot of value um, league-wide, a lot of credibility. Okay. And the reason why, and, and I know I cut you off there, but the reason why I ask that, because that answers the first part of it. So the second part is this. If there is value of Chris Ballard outside of Indianapolis, do we know for certain, if he has options, that this is where he wants to be? Because the last times that I have seen him publicly around other members of the organization with which he works, he looked like he wanted to be anywhere but there. So we're making so much of, do the Colts want Chris Ballard back? Is it also time for us to ask, does Chris Ballard want to be back? I mean, look, I have I have actually wondered this as well. Um, I, I think it's it's a little more tricky than I think just saying, hey, does he want to be here or not, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, if, if someone, if the average person wants to, wants to move on from where they work, they find another job, they move on, right? Obviously, the NFL, it's a little more difficult if you're, if you're in one of those jobs that is basically one of 32, right? So he, Chris Bauer is one of 32. Is there another job open uh, for a team that wants him? And is that a job that he wants? Is that, you know, uh, what are the financials or financials of that? You know, does he take a pay cut? All these things, right? So, I mean, it's not quite that simple, but I think the overarching question is fair. And I, it is something I have wondered. Um and the, the reason I say he still has value outside, and, and certainly it's been knocked down a notch, right? I mean, the team is in shambles. So that's certainly been knocked down a notch. Um, but I think his draft results, even though there have been some, some certainly some, some big questions uh, that fans locally would, would ask, right? But the draft results, I mean, Chris Ballard has a, a fantastic eye for talent. That is still true. But I think what's gotten him in trouble is the quarterback situation and and certainly uh, the, the Josh McDaniels thing is always going to be so, sort of a stain on his record as well. But but overall, the draft results, which are you know probably like 50% of the job, right? Acquiring talent, he's done a really good job at that. But there are some really big issues that I think he'd have to explain. Again, Stephen Holder is with us from ESPN.com. Colts get back to practice today. They're going to have a normal practice schedule this week, uh, take the weekend off for Christmas, and then play Monday Night Football against the Chargers. Stephen, I know it's not, at least when you know I'm a radio guest, it's not the question that I love the most, but uh, I'm going to throw it at you anyways because I think you can handle it. Um, if you're going to look at the big three in the organization right now, and that would be the general manager, Ballard, the head coach, Jeff Saturday, and the quarterback, Matt Ryan, 
Um, if you don't mind, you throw percentages on each of those three having the same roles they have right now in 2023. We'll start with Ballard, go to Saturday, and then Ryan. Yeah. Uh, so Chris Ballard, GM, I, I really I think about oh, 70%. I'd say right now, uh, the only reason it's not higher is because, you know, Jim Mercer is, you know, <laughs> Jim right now he's a little unpredictable, right? So, so that's, that's one, uh, Jeff Saturday. I think it's low. I think we're talking like 20% and, and I would go lower if it wasn't just for just the, the, the love that Jeff that Jim Mercer has for him at, that may cloud, you know, his decision-making there, but, uh, I don't think it's very high. And then Matt Ryan, I I just I think you want to say there's no chance, right? But but the, the financials do come into play. Uh, if he if he's back at all, it's because they have a a young quarterback and he's grooming him and and what have you. Um, in the same role, meaning like the guy uh, throughout the season, I I just don't think that's likely at all. There's like a five percent chance of that. They, even, they need him to retire. I mean, I know there's plenty of, the thing. Plenty but, of financial reasons reasons for him not to retire. But right, if you're him, you just you're going to sit and wait and let them make the move. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if I'm him, I want my money. <laughs> okay, that's the bottom line. I want my twelve million dollars. Sure. I think at minimum, but it'd be twelve million dollars. But I think in the grand scheme, yes, I think you're right. I think I think Matt Ryan. I think it's in everybody's best interest if they give him his $12 million and he goes home and he says, thanks for the memories, guys. Uh, I'm out. Stephen Holder's our guest, ESPN.com, where you can read his work covering the Colts. Uh, Stephen, it's it's Christmas time, right? And we've been sitting here going over the naughty list for the last 15 minutes. So let's go to the nice list real quick. And by that, I want you to give me two names. One being a player that has really done a nice job in taking advantage of a season of suck by saying, you know what? here's what I can do and opening eyes to the Colts organization of, Hey, you know what? We have somebody here and we didn't think we did. And then secondly, the guy right now that headed down the home stretch has a really golden opportunity to show that he belongs on this franchise and to cement himself as an NFL player. Okay. So great question. The first one I think is Zaire Franklin. This guy, let me tell you, I think he's what fifth in the NFL in tackles or something like that right now. Uh, Zaire Franklin has, has always been uh, established on special teams. Uh, we, we know he's very good there. Uh, but to take advantage of the opportunity he had this year, I, I looked this up. I don't think he's ever played more than something like 15% of, of the defensive snaps uh, in a given season. He has played 100% of the snaps this year, You know, just about 100% of the defensive snaps. And he has taken great advantage of it. And I think in, in the last few games, you're starting to see him try to uh, create turnovers as well. You know, I think he's taken some lessons from Shaquille Leonard. You know, we saw him punch a ball out the other day. And from a leadership standpoint, I mean, that was never going to be a question, right? He's a phenomenal leader. Uh, a lot of credit to him, you know, for just making the best of it and, and always having perspective, too, uh, win or loss. Win or lose, I should say. And then, um, remind me again, the second category, what were you talking about? A guy that is on his way to the complex right now and is saying to himself, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm enjoying the fact that we're not very good, but I got a real opportunity here. And I'm really optimistic heading down the home stretch because this is my chance. This is my shot, and I'm excited about it. So, there's a guy that someone was talking to me about this week, someone in the organization, who, and then... Uh, he was mentioned again yesterday by defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. It's Dallas Flowers, their young corner. You know, we saw him get involved in special teams a couple of weeks ago, and I was kind of like, well, who the hell is number 33? Um, I had to look him up. <laughs> and and as it turns out, I mean, he had to play on defense the other day, and they're suddenly very excited about his potential. And I, I think as they get further and further away from playing for anything here, you know, maybe that's that's a, a guy or maybe one of um, other guys as well who, who get some playing time so they can look at them and evaluate them you know, for next year and beyond. I mean, that, that's where they're at at this point, right? I mean, you're, you're yeah. at this point trying to figure out what you have and, and what you can do 
uh, moving forward with your roster. So that makes sense to me. So he's a guy to watch, apparently. Yeah, no need to play Brandon Face on anymore. Play Dallas Flowers, play Isaiah Rogers down who, the stretch. Who was on Dallas Flowers? Hey, Pittsburgh State Gorilla, Jake Query over there. Okay. Steven, we'll end there with we this. Uh, Pro Bowl teams announced tonight. Oh, yeah. Do the Colts get one? Hmm. I mean, I think they have some Pro Bowl level players. Whether they make it and whether the whether the stain of playing for the Colts <laughs> overrides that, I don't know. Um, I'll be curious to see whether the Forrest Buckner makes it. Um, I think he a lot of good D tackles in the AFC. That's the problem, right? It's, it becomes a numbers game at that position. Um, same with, with Stephon Gilmore. Do I think he's played at a Pro Bowl level? I do. Uh, but, you know, that it, it becomes a little bit of a popularity contest, and I don't know. I think those are the two candidates, the two strongest candidates, I think. I mean, Zaire Franklin is a candidate, frankly, but I... He doesn't have the name. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oftentimes with the Pro Bowl, it takes you a couple of years of having an established name. Unless you're just a fantasy football darling and everybody knows you, you know. See, that's why I, I think Nelson. I think Nelson's still in the mix, just because players and coaches are just or fans certainly are just going to yeah. write his name down. That's fair. That's fair, and and he still is. Look, he's still a tough assignment for people, even though he's not playing at the level we are accustomed to. So, yeah, I think those are probably the three strongest candidates, unless I'm forgetting someone. Um, but yeah, it will not be like last year when I think, what do they have? Seven, I believe. Yep. Um, it won't be seven. I can tell you that. Well, Stephen Holder has already done his penance for this holiday season and going to multiple Pacer games with Jake Query. So hope that <laughs> the holiday season treats you well, Stephen. Stephen, have you ever have you ever enjoyed an NBA game with with a greater amount of conspiracy theory out of left field and seventies rock music references than you have with the doors that I've introduced for you in that? No, I, I will tell you, it's it's basically like a, a three hour version of this this five, you know fifteen minute appearance. I, I, I'm just picturing him. Bad, I don't know. I'm picturing him leaning over to you for the umpteenth time and saying, "All right, you might think I'm really crazy, but <laughs> this is true." Why would you think that? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, here come the power pack. You might think this is really crazy, but I've heard this about the power pack. So, yeah. Uh, Stephen, happy holidays, man. Um, I, I you'll probably just be here but safe travels to new york coming up around the new year and i always appreciate the time all right guys hey thankfully they're good seats uh for with jake so that mm-hmm. makes up for it <laughs> yeah he, he can thank the significant other for that one <laughs> whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Mike DeCourcy, as I have always said, and I hope he doesn't get mad when I use this title for him, the Dean of College Basketball Writers. I believe him to be, in print variation, the most authoritative voice and the most knowledgeable on college basketball, but of course also uh, with the Big Ten Network and a noted soccer fan. In addition to that, as we bring Mike DeCourcy onto the program this morning, Mike, I know that you have always been a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You and I have discussed that. You've mentioned it on the program before. Um wanted to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know as somebody who has followed the Steelers for a very long time uh, just what Frank O'Harris who passed away this morning at the age of 72 what he meant not only to the Steelers organization but I think truly in kind of representing the model or the mold of the Pittsburgh spirit as a city if you will. Yeah, Franco uh, was, uh, it was interesting because he came to the team as a first-round draft choice who had not been a great performer in college. He played in a backfield at Penn State with another player named Lydell Mitchell, who was an All-American. I think he was a Heisman finalist. Franco was always kind of viewed as sort of an underachiever. He had a great build. He was six. He was over six feet. He weighed 230-some pounds, but had a tailback speed. And when he came to the Steelers, there were a lot of people who wondered why they selected him. And he immediately 
transformed the franchise. I mean, Joe Green was the cornerstone of the of the uh, of the turnaround of the of the of the seventies uh, decade renaissance for the Steelers. But Franco was the one whose presence, whose arrival, turned it around. Uh, Joe's first three years, I think they went one and thirteen, five and nine, and six and eight in a fourteen game season, and then t- and then uh, uh, Franco comes along. And immediately they go 11 and three. He rushed for over a thousand yards, 10 touchdowns, NFL rookie of the year, et cetera. And even Joe, I, I got a release yesterday. I think it was from the NFL network, which is doing Franco Harris Friday evening at nine in their football life, a football life series. And one of the quotes from Joe was that he was, he, you know, he represented the transformation. As soon as he walked in the door, we became the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, it, it, it was really like that. And he was really an important, you know, an important person for Pittsburgh. You have to understand what it was like to live in Pittsburgh in the 70s when the city was falling apart. I mean, the, the steel industry was in absolute decay and crisis. And my father worked in the steel industry and the city was falling apart and the Steelers were ascending to greatness and they kept that city together. There's a book out now and I can't remember the name of it, but it's just been released uh, about how the Steelers saved Pittsburgh, so to speak. Uh, there's a, you know, their theory is that that, that excellence that they represented really kept the city alive as it transformed away from the steel industry and into technology and education and medicine. Again, Mike DeCourcy is with us. Obviously, a lot to get to with Mike. Uh, Big Ten Network, you see him on there tonight. Purdue back in action as the number one team in the nation. Mike, if you look at the start for Purdue, um, you're more impressed by what Zach Eady's been able to do kind of minutes-wise, stay out of foul trouble and put up you know, pretty video game-like numbers, or what they've gotten from their freshmen early on? Oh, I think, I think what Zach's doing was it's probably maybe a half leap farther than we would have expected, but he was on this track. He was a, he was a capable freshman. He was a very fine sophomore and now he's an excellent junior. So I think that from that standpoint, although it's certainly an an amazing performance, what he's delivering, I don't think it's stunning. It's, it's just, this is what happens when you get a talented basketball player with an excellent coach and coaching staff in a program that consistently makes its players better. And what, what Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith are doing is amazing, and especially Braden. And I, I, I'm not at all surprised by Fletcher's success. Uh, uh, Fletcher comes in uh, from a basketball family. His father was an NBA coach and scout, is an NBA coach, uh, scout now, I believe. Uh, his brother, Foster, was uh, really a high school superstar in Michigan, uh, but not very tall. And he, I think Foster is probably 5'11", 6 feet at, at most, and didn't have the quickness to quite make his basketball skill work in, in a league like the Big Ten. So he goes to Michigan State, and he's a back up and kind of struggles a little bit. And then he goes to Davidson, where his size is not as, as much of an impediment, and he's a all-Atlantic 10 player. And Fletcher comes in at 6'4", so I expected him to be a good freshman uh, because I knew he was well-trained, but I don't know that I expected him to be Purdue's second-leading scorer. Braden, for me, is the revelation because he was not, you know, he's not like a McDonald's All-American guy, and you're asking him to take over a program that wanted to contend for the Big Ten title. He had everything else in place. Uh, Brandon Newman, Ethan Morton, Mason Gillis, Trey Kaufman, uh, Caleb First. All those guys were already there, and of course, Zach. And so there was everything in place to be a contender for the Big Ten title, but they didn't have a point guard. And I remember asking uh, Matt Painter at Media Day, you know, what are you doing there? What, what's Because I hadn't had the opportunity to go up and see him practice or anything. He said, we're fine. Braden Smith's going to be really, really good. And, uh, and he has been all of that and more. When you look at Purdue right now, and again, Mike DeCourcy joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, read his work at Sporting News and on Big Ten Network. Uh, obviously, from a resume standpoint, they deserve to be the number one team in the nation. I, don't, I think there's little doubt to that. Do you view them as like a, I'm making a list of national title contenders and they're 
in the top two, three, four? Like, how do you view them, I guess, as you project them uh, throughout the Big Ten season and into the month of March and beyond? I think it's hard to do that at this point. If you look at the schedule, mostly because of the way the Challenge Series worked out, uh, you know, they, they have had... Um, you know they they have had the opportunity to play some some very capable teams. I think going to uh, uh, going out to, to to Portland was really important for them uh, because you know they got they got Florida State in the challenge, so that didn't really help that much. But they go out to Portland and they play Gonzaga, Duke, West Virginia. That's three teams that two of them which will be in competition with them seating wise. And one of which will, I believe, be an NCAA tournament team for sure. And they got all that work done in one weekend, so to speak. Uh, so that that was really important for them because if they hadn't gone to Portland in that tournament, I'm not sure that they would have had the level of of conquest to this point that would say uh, that they could be up there in the seedings. They, you know, they or the rankings, I guess, if that matters to you. Uh, but I, in terms of assessing what they're capable of relative to the national championship, I think that still remains to be seen. I mean, a year ago, you, there are certain qualities that you have to have. Uh, you, it, there, nobody's won this thing without uh, a, a number of NBA players, two, three, somewhere in there. And I don't know yet uh, whether or not Purdue has that. Uh, and if you don't have that, you basically would have to break every barrier that's been erected to that championship since – you know, maybe 1950 or whatever. So I think that it's it, it's hard to project at that point. Um, but we'll see how how you know how those players develop in Big Ten competition, how they handle it. I think there's no question that they can contend for the Big Ten title, and if, that if you win this Big Ten title with the non-conference resume that Purdue already has, uh, there's no question if they if they're Big Ten champions, they they are a number one seed. I can tell you that right now. Uh, because uh, with what they did in non-conference and then you add that to it, I just don't see any way they wouldn't be. Mike, when you look at, for example, Mike DeCourcy is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. We've talked a lot about with the Colts. I don't think the Colts issue is necessarily recognizing talent. It's recognizing, and this is the real trick for everybody, recognizing how to assemble talent together as a unit. Is Matt Painter as good as we have in college basketball at getting guys to buy into a team concept and understand their role and thus then being able to to take those pieces into the jigsaw puzzle? Because to me, it seems like he has guys on his roster that seemingly probably could maybe get more minutes or higher roles elsewhere, but are can but are thrilled with their role with Purdue to ascending the basketball program, and that to me is the true trick of a coach. You agree? Yeah, I think in this day, what Matt's doing is almost singular. Uh, it, it's it's amazing that that he has you know Brandon Newman coming off of last year would be a good example. He did not get a lot. You know, of all the guys who were sort of in that ten man mix or something. I think he probably ranked ninth or tenth in minutes, and that would be a, a, a player that a lot of places would just say, "Okay, I'll go somewhere else, and I'll get run, and I'll get my shots, and I'll, you know, and, and all of that." They didn't. They didn't lose anybody. I mean, they lost the guys that were either ready to graduate, or uh, in the case of Jaden, ready to go to the NBA and be a top four pick. Uh, that's that's just like I said, it's almost unprecedented in today's college basketball for you to be able to keep a team like that intact uh, and and that's yeah, that Matt is Matt is a, a special person a special coach he does an amazing job with that program and has for a long time <laughs> and he and he's he's one of those coaches who understands himself really well and I, I still remember I think it was maybe in some ways at least in terms of its reflection to the public it was I think it was 2013 or 2014 media day when he came to to uh, to Chicago and stood up and said, "Look, I picked these players and it didn't work, and they had just finished, I think, five and thirteen in the league," and he said, it, "It's on me, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get Purdue guys." And he went out and you know, and he he continued over the next now eight to nine years to just continue to get more and more guys like this that are invested in being boilers and that continue to push the program forward. At 
TSN Mike on Twitter. Mike DeCorsi from Sporting News joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Shifting gears to Bloomington, Mike. Um, just how would you characterize the start for IU? And did we put too much stock into a team that, you know, if they don't make some wild run in the final eight minutes of that Michigan game in the Big Ten tournament, they probably don't make the NCAA tournament last season. We probably view Mike Woodson's first year in a much different light. Um, just your general thoughts on IU so far. I think they've been the unluckiest team in America, Kevin. Uh, I, I, I mean, who else out there has had three starters miss games? Uh, and and not just you know not just the guy who you know set screens, but both of your point guards and your star have all missed games now. Uh, that's that's your problem. That's why. And 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 that happened. Not again. Not to coincide with your Elons uh, uh, or your uh, your early buy games, but at Rutgers. Arizona neutral, a home game against Nebraska, uh, and then uh, a road game at Kansas, and and you're and you're not whole for any of those games. Uh, that's that's brutal. I mean, I I don't think that one can look at this team and say they're underachieving because they aren't whole and haven't been for almost three weeks now. Uh, if I took the if I took uh, the number of games they've lost, so they lost three from Jalen, I think one from. Uh, now two from Xavier uh, and one from Trace. If I took that that number of games away from you know three top scorers on any team in America and put them through that gauntlet that Indiana went through, I don't know many teams that aren't going one and three. I I don't know that I don't know there be any. Uh, so I don't I I'm not bothered by where they are. I think the problem is can they get healthy and whole and then and then go out and do. And, and then go out and make up for a lot of lost time on, on who they wanted to be as a team. Even if they were 100% healthy, Mike, the one concern I would have for Indiana, and I want you to talk me off this ledge, is I don't know that they have the consistent outside shooting. Even when Xavier Johnson was healthy, and I think he's a very good player, but he has a little John Starks in him to me where on the nights he's good, he's really good. And on the nights he struggles, he can hurt you a little bit. But it just doesn't seem like Indiana versus other teams I see has necessarily the ball rotation on the perimeter to be able to consistently shoot from the outside and draw some pressure off of Trace Jackson Davis a little bit. Uh, am I being too critical? Well, I, th- I again, I don't think that you're seeing any – what, what you're seeing isn't their, their – full functionality how they want to play hasn't been available for as i said uh, three weeks now almost it'll be three weeks on saturday since they played the rutgers game it hasn't been there i mean they're shooting 36.3 percent as a team from three-point range they've got exit 37 uh, miller cop is hitting nearly 46 uh, tamar is hitting nearly 42 uh, so to me, and 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 Jalen's hitting nearly thirty six. So those are all good numbers. And to me, the big concern about them as a shooting team was would Miller play under pressure? He w- he had a confidence problem for his entire college career. Last year he did all his years at Northwestern. It was always you know the confidence problem. And now he has persisted through the loss of those guys, not getting the high quality shots that you'd want him to get. Uh, because the ball rotated, because Trace got doubled, and all that kind of stuff, he's he's continued to make shots. He made shots in that Arizona game when they needed to have them, or they were going to lose by forty. Uh, he made shots at Rutgers when nobody else could put the buck ball in the bucket at all. Uh, he made shots last night when uh, again you, you you were down two starters. Now I know it's Elon, but you're down two starters, and he's still making shots. I, I don't have that great concern about that element as long as he continues to play like that. And he's been, I mean, he hasn't had many down games. And every shooter has down games. Steph Curry has down games. But I haven't seen many from Miller. And I don't, as I said, given that a lot of those nights, uh, the good nights for him happened on nights when they were not themselves, I think that that's a really good sign in that department. Mike, last one for me. And again, Mike DeCourcy, Sporting News, Big Ten Network, with us here on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Uh, any insight into the hiring of Charlie Baker as the new NCAA president? Obviously, 
uh, takes over an organization that's been heavily, heavily scrutinized. Uh, Massachusetts governor is his most recent background, so I think there was appeal, certainly from a legislation standpoint, to you know try and get someone with that background. Um, what did you think of that hire? Yeah, it, it kind of left me a little cold, uh, I, I, but I understand why it went in that direction. I did an article back in May, I think it was. I talked to eight or nine people who have been either in or around college athletics, from Jay Billis to Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione to Pitt Athletic Director Heather Like, and, uh, and all kinds of different people who, and, and just basically asked them, okay, what kind of person should they get? What kind of qualifications should that person have? And the funny thing was, I don't think anybody brought up a politician. That's the, you know, I talked to like nine different people and allowed them to just, you know, have their say. And I don't think anybody said, oh, yeah, we're going to go get a sitting governor or a a retire or a a exiting governor. Uh, That one took, I, I think it took us all by surprise. I, I understand the importance of, of how legislation could help them. Uh, in in regards to, uh, I think the last frontier for college athletics is do the do the athletes become employees? And I I really believe, and there's a very strong uh, uh, group of people on the other side of this issue. I really believe it. Just that that there's no way that's good for for college athletics if it comes to that. Uh, that the employer employee relationship is not as healthy as the student athlete relationship with the university, if we want to call it that. I just don't, I I don't think that that's where it needs to go or where it should go. And I think if they could get certain elements of legislation in that they could keep it from being that. Uh, And I think that's kind of why he was hired and we'll see whether or not he can, he can successfully get something, you know, through Congress and through the president's desk. Uh, Mike, have you come down from the cloud that I know you were on and watching the world cup final? Oh my! It was amazing. It, it, what a what a magnificent game! I, I, I my 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 editor uh, was in contact with me through the game, and you know, and it made, remember it being a great game made it a really harder day for me because <laughs> like I had the messy story written uh, at halftime, like, and all I had to do was basically put in the final score, and then of course all of a sudden the whole game gets thrown up in the air with the two late French French goals. Uh, and so it made it a harder day for me, but it was worth it because the game was just spectacular. But my editor says to me, okay, for the second piece we want you to do, uh, is this the greatest World Cup final ever? And as I sat down to write my, my lead, I said, that's too limiting. Like, it, it, it's, it, is it the greatest World Cup game? That's too limiting. I think it, it immediately becomes part of that conversation when you talk about 92, the Leitner shot, Kentucky Duke or uh, what I think was the best Super Bowl, 43 Steelers over Cardinals, or the triple overtime Celtics-Suns game in the 76 NBA Finals, or uh, the 99 Champions League when uh, Manchester United came back from two goals down in the, like, the final minute and a half or whatever it was. That, those, those games is where this game belongs. The, the best World Cup final, yeah, that's easy. It's, you know, how does it fit into the greatest games ever played in any sport? And I think it absolutely belonged in that conversation. Just remember, yeah, Mike, when you see the aerials of Buenos Aires, just remember <laughs> that is 200,000 people fewer than apparently were in Nashville for the NFL draft, according to the NFL. <laughs> Don't forget it. <laughs> Don't forget it. Now we have perspective. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mike, happy holidays if you're traveling this week. Safe travels, and uh, always enjoy your insight. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy holidays to everybody in Indianapolis, all my friends here. I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend.